Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler. In this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Good news, bad news. Bad news first. Growth comes from learning, which is a lifelong endeavor. Good news. Growth comes from learning, which is a lifelong endeavor. At the Money Nerve Academy, we hold space to explore, navigate, discover, and heal your relationship with money. With our online course, Mastering the Emotions of Money, you can get in touch with your fears, blocks, and beliefs around money so that you can become more aware of your current financial story. By understanding why you do what you do with your money, you can create a different ending to your financial story than the one currently taking place. Check out themoneynerve.com and start mastering your emotions of money. Our next guest helps people keep their marketing simple in a world where business bullshit and complexity threatens to stifle success. An experienced marketing professional helping businesses with their marketing strategy, content, and social media, Roger Edwards clocked up many years in the big corporate world as marketing director of several UK service brands before getting out of all of that and starting his own consultancy. He now uses his expertise to guide his clients in designing engaging campaigns and is known as a prolific content creator, podcaster, and speaker. He's also the host of the popular and award-winning marketing and finance podcast, which I was recently a guest on. I think one of the best episodes and an unbiased opinion for sure. As a qualified yoga and exercise teacher, Roger has also been known to ask his clients to take off their ties and put on their trainers. Now, if you're in the U.S., that means tennis shoes, running shoes, sneakers, you get it. Uh, taking, their fit, taking their fitness as well as their marketing to the next level. Roger, welcome to the show. Hey, Bob. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Well, I, I, I'll say I love the accent, even though I know you probably uh, would say I have the accent. I'm not sure how that works, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, I, I have a Northern English accent. Uh, so uh, I, I know that a lot of Americans say that us Brits have got great accents, but I don't have a London accent. I have a Northern English accent, which probably gives me slightly more of an advantage than some of my Southern cousins. <laughs> The more the 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 country folk or the uh, what is what yeah is, yeah it's it's a little bit broader a little bit broader less Queen's English that's why that's I true. don't talk as 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 uh, slowly and as uh, poshly as some of my uh, friends down south might do so a little more grounded and relaxed <laughs> absolutely right that's absolutely it. exactly so let me ask you this are you um, did you have a lot of brothers and sisters growing up were you an only child. I actually have two sisters. Okay. Uh, I've got a, yo- a younger sister um, by about three years. I also have an older sister who's actually 10 years older than me. Um, and funnily enough, she moved to the United States about 35 years ago, and she lives just down the road from you in Venice Beach. All right. All right. So you're going to have to come over and uh, we'll go to the real Venice. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. You know, obviously, the pandemic at the moment means that we can't travel anywhere. I'm not even allowed to go down the down the street at the moment. Uh, but uh, yeah, we used to come over to the States frequently to to visit my sister in Los Angeles. And we're definitely, definitely well overdue of another visit. Well, come on down when we get rid of uh, some of the COVID that's uh, been running around. Um, now, when you grew up, so you grew up and she was 10 years older. Uh, what was yep. it like growing up as a kid with your folks about money? Uh, was it talked about uh, different perspectives from each of the kids? Yeah. Uh, the, the two things that I remember 
all relate to my father. And if I ever wanted something, I can, I can remember what, what when I was a teenager, I wanted a computer. And in those days, the, the, the best computer you could get was called a Commodore PET. Uh, and I think it actually had a whopping 32K of memory. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was re- really impressive. And m- my father's stock answer to any question about buying something which was quite expensive was, we'll see. We'll see. And I always remember that. You know, can I have a new bike? We'll see. Can I have this Commodore pet computer? We'll see. But then on the other side of the coin, he was an extremely generous individual. Uh, and, 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 and again, I, I can remember, you know, if you, if you do your maths homework, if you write that English essay, then there was funds unlocked. So I don't know whether it was a, a sort of parental type of bribery, but the, those were the two things I remember. We'll see, but that generosity, which was always tied into the completion of, of something, you know, tidy your room, here's some cash, finish that English essay, here's some cash. Right. Did, now, if if I if my parents were to say to me, "We'll see," I think I'd probably get really angry. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think that would have been the answer I wanted to hear. I either want a, a yes or a yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and and we'll see was interesting as well because it it all often closed the conversation down. Maybe maybe that was how my sister and I uh, were were just conditioned that if that was if if it was we'll see that was the end of the conversation. Don't push it. Don't push it. <laughs> oh, my God. And do you remember, uh, did your parents talk about money with each other? Or was it money was a, a conflict or money was a healthy conversation? I think that my my parents very rarely talked about money. Very rarely at all. Or at least when I was there. My father was the one who did all the money stuff. Uh, he had the bank accounts. He operated uh, insurance uh, life insurance and all of that sort of thing. He was the one in charge of that. My mother was just not interested in any of it. Mm-hmm. She got an allowance. Um, housekeeping is what my father used to call it. And he would give her her housekeeping each week. We would get pocket money as children. And uh, that that was really, you know, we never sat around the kitchen table as we got older and, and talked about where the money was coming from or how much my father earned. In in fact, I still don't really know what his salary was at any uh, time okay. during my my upbringing which is was quite quite interesting really. I guess I guess we're, we're much more open these days than we were back then. Well, and would you say over in the UK these days people love to talk about their debt and uh, all their all their mis- mistakes they made and uh, just bear all their financial uh Mis, you know misgivings i think i think perhaps my father's generation and uh baby boomers i guess you would call them probably a lot more reticent even now you know money is private money goes on behind closed doors if 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 i've got an accountant it's a conversation that i have with my accountant or it's a conversation that i have with my financial advisor right. i think that younger people and and, and maybe even you know my generation. I, I slipped into Generation X just. I, I think we're probably a lot more open, mm-hmm. happier to talk about it. Um, yeah, there's even that, you know, I've, I, my credit card limit is £30,000. Oh, I've got £35,000. You know, there's almost that element of, of competition there. So I think that the, the, 
the younger the generations get, I think that there is more of a willingness to talk about money and what it means. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so at, when you were a kid, were you sitting around saying, oh, my God, one day I can't wait to be a marketing strategist? Like, I want to like, that's what I want to do. Or did you want to be a farmer or like, what What, what were you thinking? Gosh, uh, my earliest memory of, of uh, what I wanted to do actually was to be a journalist. Um, and I can remember going along to the careers department at school as I was getting towards exam time and having to choose the exams that I was going to take. And the the careers guy said to me, yeah, journalism's good. You're, you're, you would be good at it because you're good at writing stories. English was my favourite subject at school. Writing stories was the best thing ever. I just loved writing stories. And he says, yeah, journalism is, is a would suit you, but it's not going to mean that you're going to earn a lot of money. Um, and it's very difficult to become an extremely successful journalist. And obviously in those days, it was all printed newspapers right. or now. So I, I, I was almost talked out of, of journalism and I, and I didn't really know ultimately what I wanted to do. But funnily enough, when I was in one of those English language classes, uh, I had this fabulous teacher called Mr. Plows, Stephen Plows, and he used to tell stories all the time. And one day he came in with this book, and I remember it was called. Um, it was a bit like the the, the Mad Men, but it was it was uh, it was called the Hidden Persuaders, and it was actually a book about marketing agencies, probably written in the 1950s. And I just remember associating him talking about marketing with seeing adverts on TV for anything from chocolates to cars to um, holidays. And, and that sort of stuck in my mind. I actually went to university and did a an economics and marketing degree, uh, mainly because those ended up being the subjects I was better at in my older years at school. Um, and I suppose when I left university, I went and worked for a financial advisor firm. The idea being just to try and uh, to decide what I wanted to do full time. Yeah. And as a result of that, I was I, I got a job in a big financial services company. And one day, a big coincidence happened and I ended up in the marketing department. And that was after about 18 months in, into my working career. And I've been in marketing ever since. How much did money? Um, how much did money play a, play a part in um, uh, making your decisions in terms of your career? Like you're not going to make a lot of money as a journalist, but were you clocking? Oh, I can make I can make a hundred thousand. I can make two hundred thousand, or it's unlimited. What was like? How did that play into? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I was never, I never had this ambition to be a millionaire or a billionaire or anything like that. I, I guess when I left university and started working in big corporate, one one of the things that uh, was a very highly prized goal for a lot of youngsters when I was coming out of university was to get a company car, um, to have a job where you were promoted to a level where they would give you a car as part of your package. Now, since since then, um, in the in the um, early 1990s, the UK government has taxed company cars so heavily that very few people actually want them anymore. But at the time, it was a real aspirational thing. So I had this thing in my head that I wanted to be earning 30,000 UK pounds and have a company car by the time I was 30. That that was the that is the memory I have of 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 
of money. Um, when, when I was, when I was a student, um, I wouldn't say I was particularly frugal. Um, the important things to me at the time were going out, drinking beer, uh, going to rock concerts, chasing girls, all of the usual stuff you would expect from a young youngster. <laughs> and I seem, I always seemed to have enough money. Did a few jobs on the on the side whilst I was studying to make sure that my uh, wallet was always full. So I, I don't recall ever having money worries. Um, but maybe I was a little, you know, yeah. I, I, I always had a little bit aside for a, for a rainy day. And so, um, so taking that to what you do now, um, and, and success, not necessarily being a billion dollars in your bank account. How do you know when you work with your clients and how do they know, um, that they've had success? Like what are your indicators when you've had a successful campaign? Okay. I think, uh, this is one of the big problems with marketing, to be perfectly honest, Bob, is that a lot of people go into it thinking that marketing is just about advertising or mm. promotions or or content like this this podcast that we're recording now. But of course, marketing is a lot more than that. It, it's about customer research. It's about understanding your target customer and working out what that target customer's problems are. And once you know their problems, you can create a product or a service to solve that problem and then you sell that product or service to make profit for your business. But also marketing is also very, very much about setting strategic goals. And a lot of those strategic goals will have to be financial. Is it, I want to earn a certain amount of profit, net profit, gross profit, whichever it is, or is it a certain amount of you know, cash flow? Is it a certain amount of revenue? And and even now, I've been doing this for 30 odd years, it surprises me how a lot of companies don't actually have those sorts of goals. It's almost like, well, we've got a product, we'll sell it, and we need to do advertising. So what's your target? Well, we haven't really thought much about that. And, and again, I, I, you can't, have a marketing strategy or a marketing campaign without knowing what you want it to achieve. Uh, because if you don't know what it it's going to achieve, how can you measure the success, of you, as you've said there? So I, I do find that that part of marketing is, is an educational process that quite a lot of people have to go through. And it is, it's, it's actually quite surprising because you would think that most people would get that. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, it's, it's always a bigger picture than just the, oh, give me these three things. There's like, there's so many layers to it. Um, mm. I'm curious with marketing, how does that play into your personal life? Like in your family life, do you use those same, uh, goal setting or, uh, target market with your, with your family and, and in your personal life? <laughs> I, I, I suppose not, not directly, but right. I think that if I look back at, uh, my son growing up and, and the way that we run the house. I, I think that the, the themes are there. Yeah. You know, there'll, there'll be, oh, we, we have a goal, whether it's we want to move house or whether we want to go on holiday, change the car, get our son into university, uh, whatever it is. And I suppose I will always have it in my mind. The communication obviously is such a massive part of marketing. And I think it's laying those communications uh, channels that is so important. And I, I suppose that's probably where the focus has always been to me. So if we have this goal, whether it's to get the son into university or to, to go on holiday, whatever it might be, what are the communications channels to getting to that goal? Yeah. And did you, do you, did you, do you talk with your son 
a lot about money or finance or savings or like any of that kind of conversation that I never had with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that I, the, the lesson I learned from my own father with the old will see thing and uh, him being quite generous if you actually uh, achieved your goals. I, I was doing some of that with my with my own son. Mm-hmm. So yes, do your do your English essay and I'll take you to the cinema. Do your maths homework and you know, you might get a new bike for Christmas and that sort of thing. I was, I I was never into that we'll see sort of thing. But I, I think that as he's got a bit older and now, especially that he's at university, the money conversations do happen Mm -hmm. a lot more. I mean, I'll give you a quick example. He, he bought a car a few years back, uh, as young people often do. And it was about 18 months ago, he decided he wanted to he, he wanted to move up. He had a Fiat and he wanted to move up to an Audi. And he'd gone along to this uh, garage, this uh, um, dealership. And it was the typical, typical sort of car salesman right. got inside his head, convinced him that this was a good idea. And and he, fortunately, Bob, he, he phoned me up and we talked through it. And this deal, I mean, I, I was actually to the stage where I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to complain about this garage to the Financial <laughs> Services Authority because they're pretty much on the on the line of conning you here. Yeah, they were at, they were actually getting him to almost uh, continue his original loan for the original car and adding a new one onto it, so he wow. would almost have. Uh, and, and, and I was just so fortunately uh, he hadn't said yes, he hadn't signed anything, um, and we we swerved that one wow. uh, to use a car analogy. So, so yeah, I think that uh, I, I feel that I've had a lot more financial conversations with my son than I did with my own, with my father. And are you aware of any, and there may not be any, but are you aware of any limiting beliefs or financial blocks that your, your dad had or your mom had that you've caught yourself as an adult going, Oh my God, I didn't realize I brought that with me. One of the thing, one of the things I remember most about my father with with money, apart from the two things that we've always said, is that he was an absolute stickler for paying off his credit card debt every month totally. So he would never let any of the of the credit card debt roll over so that it started to accumulate interest. He paid it all off. I guess he was one of the first generations uh, of adults in the United Kingdom to have a credit card. And he was very, very clear that he would always pay this off. And, and that has stuck with me. He, he almost created a massive fear in my head that if you don't pay it all off, you know, it creeps up on you. It gets, it gets bigger and bigger. And of and of course, um, around the time that I left university and I started to to think about buying a house, interest rates were, and I'm thinking about this is going to be around about 1987, so it was just before the big stock market crash of 1987, and interest rates were about 4 and 5%. And then after the stock market crash of 87 and, and into 89 90 interest rates in the UK went absolutely sky high stratospheric they got as high as 14.8% um, and there was a, a time early on in my um, early career where my mortgage payments pretty much took out everything that I was earning in my job because the the, it's, the interest rates were so high so I think my father had instilled a little bit of fear yeah. in me about running up debt so to this day, I pay off the credit card every month totally. Well, that's all. sometimes fear is a great motivator. 
like fear is not always a bad thing. It can <laughs> actually can keep us on track. But when you um, pay off yeah. that credit card debt and you and you're you're debt free, like in the back of your mind, what's what's the uh, what goes on? Like, is it like, thank goodness? Or like, is there a monologue that goes in your head when you know I'm debt free? Actually, to be perfectly honest, a very, very interesting question. I, I don't feel any, any, uh, even though I said that maybe this has been born out of fear, uh, I never feel as if there's a massive sensation of relief. Oh, thank goodness I've paid that off. Uh, it's just what I do. Right. It's the same as, is the same as getting up in the morning and having a shave or getting up in the morning and making a cup of coffee. I pay off my credit card debt each month. It's what I do. I don't really associate it with any emotions. No, that's awesome. Well, I mean, what it sounds to me is it's just a healthy habit um, mm -hmm. that you are just have cultivated. And so it's not yeah. even something you think about. It's just, oh, you, know, you eat breakfast, you pay off your debt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which I think a lot of people over here maybe should uh, eat their breakfast and pay off their debt or pay off their debt before <laughs> they eat their breakfast. <laughs> Have a coffee first, and once you've got the caffeine hit, then you can go and do it. <laughs> and absolutely. Um, in your own um, in your own family, uh, do did you discuss or do you discuss financial issues with your wife, um, with your son? Do you get to make all the decision making? Who wins the financial fights? Like, how does that work for yourself? Yeah, that, that's very interesting. We we do talk about it, and I, I feel it's a pretty equal conversation. I, I wouldn't say that, uh, uh, that anybody has a casting vote. I suspect because of my background, um, even though I, my career has been marketing orientated, quite a lot of the marketing jobs I've had have been in financial services companies. So I've worked in investment companies, I've worked in protection, we call it protection here, uh, ins life insurance, critical illness, income protection, disability income, that sort of thing. So I guess because I've been the guy who has been in financial services, there's, there's possibly a sort of, well we'll, well, well, we'll bow to your expertise or your wisdom when it comes to financial services. But I, I don't, apart from that, I don't really think that there's ever been any bias. It's usually a collective decision. Cool. And what's the best financial decision you ever made? You're like, wow, that was a good one. Goodness gracious. I, I, I was um, offered a job uh, back in 1993 to move from where I was living in England to Scotland, where I live now, Edinburgh, the city that we live in now. And in 1993, that was the year I was getting married. And they say that... Uh, Three of the most stressful things that can ever happen to you in your life is getting married, moving house, and changing jobs. Right. And it seemed to me that, do you know, we're already getting married and we're going to be moving into a house together. So do we really want to add a th the third of those really stressful things in the same year? So I, it, it was very, very close to not accepting that job. But of course, in the end, I remember my fiance at the time, now my wife, we, we went and sat on this place called uh, Scout Scar nearby. It's like a hillside. And we just wrote down the pros of going to Edinburgh and the cons of going to Edinburgh. And in reality, Bob, the list of pros was very long and the list of cons was very short. So we made the decision, okay, 
it, it, it'll it'll be the third most stressful thing in the same year. But let let's go. And we we we've lived in and around Edinburgh now for twenty seven years. That's the time we've been married. And uh, yes, that was that was definitely the best decision we made. That's awesome. Um, I have I have this other question. It's going to be completely change of direction. But I'm thinking about the fact that you're a yoga teacher. And yep. that you really promote exercise and that it somehow ties into your clients and marketing. Um, can you tell me why that that's like feels important to you? Yeah, the, the whole fitness thing uh, started uh, again was a bit of an accident. Um, there was a time when I was I was quite senior in, in in big corporate in the United Kingdom. I was working for a company called Scottish Provident. It was a big financial services company, and I was spending a lot of time travelling uh, in and out of airports, in and out of aeroplanes, in and out of trains. And you know what it's like when you travel around. You eat rubbish food, you eat crap food. You don't get any exercise. Uh, I, I was sitting in hotels at night having a couple of glasses of wine maybe more just to just to do have something to do and and I was getting quite unfit and and I remember my my wife said to me uh I'm going to take you to this fitness class and, and I just almost laughed and said no there's, there's no way that I'm going to a fitness class I had it in my head it was an aerobics class uh, I had Jane Fonda in my head with her lycra and her leg warmers <laughs> and I, I I'm, I'm not doing this I'm not doing this but actually, it was a fitness class based upon martial arts. It was it was called body combat, and I actually loved it. It was fantastic. It was so much fun, and we we started going to this class two or three times a week, and and, I, and it worked. I lost quite a lot of weight and became quite fit as a result. And one day, I thought, would it be a mad idea, just as a sort of side project, to train to be a a body combat instructor, and we talked about it. Oh, yeah, let, 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 let's do it. And, and I went into this purely as a, almost like a personal goal. I'm going to become a body combat instructor to prove that I can do it. And then after that, I'll stop. But of course, I, I went on the course. I got the qualification. It took about 18 months. And I qualified. And literally within about two days of qualifying, I got a call from a local gym, a local club. Oh, we've got this combat class. Can you cover it? Because the instructor's ill. Uh, so yes, I went along and, and, and taught <laughs> exactly. this class. And, and guess what happened? Oh, can you come back? Can you? And, and, and there was a time, even when I was doing the big corporate marketing job, where I was teaching eight classes a week as well. And, and, and the combat led me into into doing a yoga course as well. And in fairness, you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s now. Combat is extremely... Um, energetic there's a lot of jumping about and i keep convincing myself that it's gonna it's got to stop yoga's a little less <laughs> high impact <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so i so I, I, I just went into that almost it, it was it was a personal challenge that became a side hustle i guess you could you could call it uh, and and yes i do earn a bit of money from teaching yoga classes um yoga teachers and fitness instructors get paid dreadful wages yes so I've, it's, ne it's never it's never <laughs> been about earning lots of money so i i, I just call it beer money it's yeah. it, it allows me to you know have a have a, a few beers so i've never ever done that for the money but in in some bizarre way i think that that helped me to develop more of a work-life balance mm -hmm. because you know going into that fitness teaching 
made me so much more aware of how rubbish my health was in terms of nutrition and in terms of exercise when all I was doing was the marketing job. And that that almost that accident of becoming a, a fitness teacher helped me to create that real balance in my life. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, I mean, I see it from my end, and I'm probably guilty of this as well, but in marketing as well, we see all these companies that are, I'm trying to get it going. I'm trying to sell my widgets. I'm, And we're so focused and driven that we don't take a moment to stop, relax, appreciate what we've got, uh, and then keep moving. We, we sometimes don't just stop and clock it or track it. We're just so busy, like, I got to get there. I got to get there. And then it, it just never, it's perpetual. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And, and, and it's, part, it's part of the world we live in. You know, social media, video, everything is on all the time. And, you know, I, 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 was, I was having a laugh with a friend of mine today. You know, there's so many courses out there that you can buy, you know, how to, how to develop a seven-figure business in a week right. without doing any work. <laughs> and, and you think, oh, come on, come on, you can't do that. It is very, very hard work. But Everybody today just thinks you have to be going flat out, flat out, flat out, flat out. There's that. There's this. This they, they, they call it the hustle culture, don't they? And yeah, I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard, but I think that if all you do is work hard, then some uh, eventually you will burn out. And and it's very important to find that balance between striving to achieve a financial goal, whatever it might be, and keeping yourself fit, healthy, and happy. Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking, you know, there's all these things out there, you know, yeah. Get quick, uh, get rich quick. You don't have to do any work. Um, I remember, um, my sister will kill me, but, uh, when she was a teenager back in the day, when you were reading the newspapers, there was a section that said, uh, uh, if you want to have bigger breasts, uh, send a <laughs> dollar, uh, to this address, you know, and, and, uh, so she sent the dollar and she got back a list of all of the, uh, plastic surgeons in the area. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, she, she got what she paid for, but that person probably made a whole lot of money. (laughs) Actually that, that it's, it's, it's probably extremely politically incorrect, but that was a fairly genius idea. And I, you know, if a hundred thousand women sent that person a, a dollar, well, he, he, he did make a set six uh, figure business without doing any work. <laughs> Absolutely. So I just, it's all about fight targeting your audience, <laughs> right? Reaching your yeah. market. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, and again, you know, I said before that a lot of companies don't set goals, but a lot of companies don't really understand who their customer is. And yeah. marketing always starts with the customer. If you haven't done that work to identify your customer, then any no amount of advertising or promotion will make you successful because there will always be that disconnect. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's always been um, like even my tax my tax practice and other things I do. It's relational. It's not yeah. a transaction. I'm not doing a tax return. I'm having an exchange, and uh, I think a lot of people miss that component that it is actually relational. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we are now at uh, we're at the point where I've got my fast five. It's a new thing we've been doing where I'm going to ask you five questions. Um, don't give it too much thought, uh, and let's just let's see where it goes. Um, what was your most expensive purchase? My most expensive purchase is probably one of my cars. 
Okay. Does that does that count? Because That's, I obviously pay, paid paid it on a, a PCP scheme. But yeah, yeah, that, it, yeah. one of my cars. Yeah. It's money out the door. Um, yeah. A, a financial decision you regretted. Oh goodness gracious me! Um, um, si- sign- signing up to a, uh, an encyclopedia, but one of those encyclopedia <laughs> things where you, where they send you a big encyclopedia every every month, and you can't actually get out of it, so you end up with a load of encyclopedias you don't really need. Especially as the internet was taking oh. off at the time, and <laughs> you could probably just Google it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> Um, do you have at least six months of emergency fund money? Yes, I do. Awesome. Uh, who's your favorite superhero? Ooh, my favorite superhero is probably Batman, I have to say. And any qualities that relate to marketing or anything with Batman or just, uh, he's just a bad dude. He's a badass. Well, he's just a he's just a good communicator, isn't he? And yeah. uh, he, he, if if you think about it, whenever the commissioner wants Batman to help, he just beams that bat sign into the sky, and Batman just comes. And you know that's a genius piece of co- of uh, communication. So Batman was a marketeer long before me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, he's always stages a dramatic entrance. I mean, Superman and all the other guys just show up, but Batman's always yeah. he makes an entrance. What was your last impulsive buy? My last impulsive buy, gosh, goodness gracious, was um, actually a set of lights for uh, for my room here. Obviously, we're now all uh, we're now all doing the more and more virtual stuff, virtual speeches, virtual uh, meetings. So I just wanted better lights. So I, I bought these lights. And I, I used the excuse that it was Christmas, and I bought these lights. And when they arrived, they didn't actually work, so I had to send them back. <laughs> Which is always fun. <laughs> Which is always fun. Um, yeah. All right, so it's now it's our... Amazon e- are good at taking things back, though. They are. They are. That's always good. Um all right, so we're at our spe- our sweet spot, which is our M&M moment, money and motivation. Um, can you give us, the listeners, yeah. a practical financial tip or a piece of wealth wisdom? Yeah, I, I, I think it, it probably comes back to what I said before about when you were, we were talking about yoga and fitness and that sort of thing, is don't always focus on the work and don't always focus on that ultimate financial goal, whether it's you want to earn a certain amount of money or you want to you don't want to buy a house, buy a car, whatever it is. I always try to siphon off about 5% of my um, my salary, not, not into a pension. I mean, I would try to invest into a pension or into a savings, but 5% would always go into a sort of happy fund. And that happy fund could be to go out to the cinema or to go on holiday, depending upon how much there was in that happy fund, or buy a new yoga outfit or buy some lights that I have to send back to Amazon. But have that extra little bit of happy money that you can use to reward yourself. And, you know, maybe that started all the way back when we, with my father, almost saying, finish your essay and you can have this, finish your maths homework and you can have this. There was that sort of reward. So make sure you've got some money somewhere to reward yourself, which you can afford to spend and it's not going to detract from your savings or your pensions or your investments or anything like that. That's perfect. And that way, if somebody says, we'll see, you can just go to your little happy <laughs> happy fund and uh, do what you need to do. Uh, I'm going to buy it anyway. I'm not going to wait for you to see. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Well, I have one final question because I've, I've really enjoyed talking with you and hearing about all this stuff. And I think marketing is such an important component of business. But what footprint do you want to leave? What do you want your legacy to be um, in your time here? Uh, yeah, that's a very, very interesting question. I mean, I, I have spent the whole of my career trying to simplify things for my customers. Marketing, uh, especially marketing in the financial services industry, is incredibly complicated. Financial services as an industry is incredibly complicated. And I've always tried to help people to see the benefit of simplifying everything. So I guess my legacy would be he was that guy who made everything simpler. He was a simplifier. Um, and I, I guess that from a you know, from a career point of view, we, we, what I would like my legacy to be. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think we do overcomplicate things. And uh, the more simple, uh, just the easier I think life can be uh, when we don't make it so complicated. So I- Ab- Absolutely right. Simplicity. The, the, and the thing is, the reason so many things are, co- things are complicated is that actually making things simple is difficult. And so many companies can't be bothered to try and make things simple. And that's why everything stays complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Roger, where can people find you on social media? Okay. uh, I like Twitter best. Uh, My Twitter account is Roger underscore Edwards. So if you want to have a quick conversation with me, Twitter's the one you'll catch my attention pretty much any time of the day. But I'm also on LinkedIn as well. I quite like LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn has improved a lot over the last uh, couple of years as it's gone from being a C- uh, an online CV to be become a genuine uh, community platform. So t- Twitter, Roger underscore Edwards or LinkedIn. And where can people find your book? Is it Well, the book is... Uh, Cats, Mats, and Marketing Plans. Uh, as you would expect, it's all about keeping things simple. And the best place to find that is on my own website, rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. All right. Well, we will make sure to put all of that in our social media. So I so appreciate it. Um, and I want to say to our listeners out there, don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd prefer to watch our episodes, you can head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Roger, it's been such a pleasure. I so appreciate you coming on. Not a problem, Bob. It has been such fun talking to you, and you've made me think about monetary things that I've not thought about for quite a long time, so thanks for that. Awesome. 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 